Hello, and welcome to Grand Final History. In this episode, we go back to 1901, the fifth season of the VFL, when Fitzroy wanted to recover from their shock loss to Melbourne the previous Grand Final, and the entire final system was restructured again after Melbourne became Premiers in 1900, despite only winning six games in the regular season. 1901 was a very big year for the newly formed country of Australia. Federation officially occurred on the 1st of January and the first Federal Parliament opened on May 9th at the Melbourne Exhibition Building, which, of course, would be commemorated by a round of football. The Duke of York was in Melbourne to open the first Parliament and the VFL had tried to invite him to a game, but there was no time available. Meanwhile, clubs continued to look for ways to bond their players together. At South Melbourne's AGM, it was reported that, as a means of keeping the team together and cultivating good social feeling among the players, your committee, during the season, entertained them at two euchre parties and a picnic at Mordialic, all of which proved thoroughly successful. Euchre being a card game, if you weren't aware. While clubs tried to foster friendship and special feelings amongst the players, the league administrators had to grapple with the calls to update the final system to better reflect the efforts of teams across the entire season. A complaint raised about the VFL in 1901, as it would be for many seasons to come, was whether the league was focused on the game or just the money. Writing in The Age in early March, Follower had this to say, In deciding upon the system under which the football premiership of next season is to be contested, the league delegates will tonight place on the record for all time one of two things. Either that their object is to promote and encourage genuine sport, or that it is a grab for gate money at the sacrifice of sport. How to create a fair fixture of games across the season was an issue in 1901 and is still being debated today, almost 120 years on. Follower wrote that there should be 21 rounds where each team played each other three times as the only fair system, but the money that the VFL could raise out of a final system was compelling and it seemed that the spectators were also in favour of a finals program as a climax to the season, but that it needed to better reflect the efforts made during the season. The VFL met on March 8, 1901, and agreed on a new finals process. There would be the normal 14 home-and-away games, then the top four teams would play each other in a round-robin. The winner of the round-robin would be the Premiers, unless the team that finished on top of the home-and-away season challenged. In the meantime, the bottom four teams would also play a round-robin for a trophy. A special meeting was scheduled for the 15th of March to formalise the rule changes required for this new system. However, one week later, at a special meeting, there was a new proposal raised that quickly got everyone's attention. Rather than formalise the option that had come from the subcommittee and had been debated and approved the previous meeting, Essendon's delegate, Jack Denham, proposed a new system. There would be the usual 14 home and away games, and then a sectional round, as in previous systems. Teams finishing 1st, 3rd, 5th and 7th in Section A, and the others in Section B. Over three weeks, each team would play their sectional opponents once. After a total of 17 rounds, the latter would reflect the total number of wins and losses. The top four teams would then be in the finals. The finals would start with two semi-finals. First would play third, and second would play fourth, the winners to play in a grand final match for the Premiership, which, as reported in the Argus on March 16, 1901, 
may be the first official use of the term grand final in the VFL. No one seems to have noticed that the teams that finished second played a lower ranked side than the team that finished first, or from a different perspective, the reward for finishing third rather than fourth was to play the number one team. An odd structure for the semi-finals, given the way seeding works in most sports in the modern era. Perhaps the structure was a hangover from the way that the sectional groups were structured. Under this proposal, every game in the season would count. No more late runs via the sectional rounds into the finals like Melbourne had done in 1900. The final four would not be resolved until the end of the sectional games. There would be no option for a challenge for the team finishing on top after the home and away season. Removing the temptation to rest players or deliberately lose a game in the sectional round in order to generate more revenue from an extra challenge game. Although stern words were exchanged at the VFL delegates meeting denying that any club would do such a thing, there was widespread suspicion in the general public. Although the new system was proposed by Jack Denham from Essendon, he made it clear that this was not his own work, declaring that he did not want to fly under false colours as to the suggestion of the scheme. He gave credit to Mr Reginald Wilmot, the respected sports journalist who wrote for the Argus under the name of Old Boy. Hence, this format of the final system, in all its variations up to 1930, would be known as the Argus system. One of the players who would influence season 1901 and many other seasons was Essendon champion Albert Thurgood. He played in the same old successful years in the VFA in the early 1890s, but like many young men, when Victoria's economy slumped in the 1890s, he moved to Western Australia for work. While there, he played three seasons for Fremantle, topping the goal-kicking list at the same time. He was a noted high marker, fast runner, and while known for his goal-kicking, could play both in the back line and the ruck if needed. His kicking was reported to be extraordinary. While in Western Australia, he had a kick measured at 99 yards, and then, on another occasion, at the Adelaide Oval in 1894, he managed 95 yards, and on the East Melbourne ground, made place kicks of 107 and 104 yards. Essendon have recognised him as one of their best players, and he would set his mark on the season 1901. Practice matches started in April. At one practice match between Collingwood and the reigning VFA premiers, Footscray, there was a most unusual event at Victoria Park, Collingwood's home ground. As reported in the Argus on Monday 29th of April, two men forced their way into the reserve and were using bad language. They were promptly arrested and locked up. The Argus suggested this type of action would soon rid the game of such conduct and would do great credit to the club. Clearly, this did not become common practice. The season started on the first Saturday in May, and Melbourne lost to Geelong and Corio, unable to continue their run from the previous season. Collingwood thrashed Essendon, even though it was Essendon's home game, and these two teams would continue to challenge each other throughout the season. In round six, Essendon achieved something special. While playing South Melbourne, they somehow managed to kick 17 behinds between their first and second goals. Fred Hiskins, who topped the league for goal kicking in 1901, kicked 10 behinds on his own. Essendon did manage to win, with the final score of 3 goals, 23 behinds, 41 points, to South's 5 goals, 5, 35. June 15 saw Victoria host South Australia in the first interstate game, rather than an intercolonial match. The Vicks were wearing blue jumpers with gold sash, with their sashes all over the left shoulder, unlike previous seasons, according to the old boy in the Argus. Clearly, 
the Big V jumper, is still some time off. The South Australians were in black and white stripes. Victoria won the game 8 goals 7 to 4 goals 16. With a bit more accuracy, the South Australians may have stood a chance at beating the Vicks on the MCG. On June 24th, Fitzroy played Geelong at the Corio Oval. What made this game more interesting than usual was the fact that Fitzroy had taken advantage of the week off for the interstate game and been on a trip to Tasmania. They only arrived in Geelong at 10.30am. They were competitive through the entire game, despite a 10-day trip and having spent the previous night at sea crossing Bass Strait. Geelong only scored the winning goal a few minutes before the final bell. Another highlight for the season was St Kilda managing a win, albeit the only one for the season. On July 15th, the Saints kicked six goals in the first quarter, and despite only scoring one more goal for the rest of the game, this was enough to beat the fellow cellar dweller, Carlton, by 18 points. As the season progressed, the standout teams were Geelong, Essendon and Collingwood, with Melbourne making up the top four after the home and away series was over. Essendon had struggled when Thurgood was injured, but won five out of their last six games to finish third on the ladder on nine wins. Collingwood was second on ten wins and two matches behind ladder leader Geelong. The sectional games were on again for this season. But similar to the AFL final since 2016, there was a bye before the sectional games began. Several clubs took advantage of this opportunity to travel to the country for a week of fun and to play games against country teams. South Melbourne players had a fine time, but maybe they should have concentrated on their game. In a triumph for country footballers everywhere, the boys from the Big Smoke, South Melbourne, were defeated by Rutherglen by 13 points. Perhaps the AFL today could send out the non-finalists out to play country teams during the pre-finals bye. It certainly would be entertaining. The sectional games had a new dimension this year. The race for the top four positions and a chance to play in the semi-finals depended on the total number of wins across the home and away season and the sectional games. Every match counted. As expected, Geelong, Collingwood and Essendon did well, although Fitzroy managed to beat Collingwood in the second last game as it moved up the ladder, and Essendon showed that it was going to be a serious contender by beating Geelong by 33 points down at the Corio Oval in the final sectional round. The only change to the top four was Fitzroy pushing Melbourne out on percentage to win a place in the semis against second-place holder Essendon. Geelong finished on top with 14 wins out of 17 games and would play third-place Collingwood in the other semi-final. In the first semi-final, Geelong played Collingwood at the neutral East Melbourne Cricket Ground in front of an estimated 10,000 people. Geelong had some injury challenges which left them undermanned in the ruck. The Geelong advertiser also reported that two or three players were still recovering from influenza, whereas Collingwood was at full strength. Collingwood led from the start with two goals three to two behinds in the first quarter. The game was intense and the players were exhausted in the final quarter, but Collingwood had maintained their advantage throughout the match to win by 21 points, six goals nine, to Geelong's three goals, six behinds. While conceding Collingwood were the better team on the day, all Geelong supporters were outraged that their efforts to finish the season on top of the ladder, two games clear, now counted for nothing. With the exception of the round-robin finals, this would be the only season until 1931 that the team that finished on top of the ladder could not issue a challenge to decide the premiership. Sadly for Geelong, they were the team that missed out there would be more revisions of the Argus finals scheme in the next season. The second semi-final was held the same day 
between the Inform Essendon and the fast-finishing Fitzroy, who had finished fourth. This was played at Victoria Park in front of 15,000 people and was going to involve some controversy. Fitzroy got away to an early start and led at quarter time two goals four to Essendon's one behind. In the second quarter, Thurgood started to show his influence on the game by kicking two goals, the first from 70 yards out. However, his second goal was thought by many to have hit the post. A howl went up around the ground when the goal umpire raised two flags. Field umpire Ivor Crapp spoke to the goal umpire, who stood his ground, and the goal was awarded. Much to the disgust of Fitzroy supporters, at half-time, Essendon were up by two points, three goals two to two goals six. The third quarter saw Thurgood score two more goals, being responsible for all five of Essendon's majors. At three-quarter time, Essendon had a two-goal lead, but Fitzroy had not finished with their challenge. They kicked the first two goals to take back the lead. Thurgood applied a critical shepherd to allow Larkin to get a goal for Essendon to put them five points up. But with ten minutes to go, Sharp gold for Fitzroy to put them one point in front. However, Essendon managed a couple more behinds and held on in the last five minutes until the bell sounded to take the win. Fitzroy were unhappy about the goal umpiring and lodged an official protest, which was heard on the following Friday, the day before the grand final. They were aware that they could not actually alter the result of the match, but felt the issue should be dealt with. Essendon responded that the rule was the umpire's decision was final, and if Fitzroy had a problem with the goal umpire, this should be addressed to the Permit and Umpiring Committee. Fitzroy conceded and withdrew their protest. However, a complaint was submitted to the Umpiring Committee. And if you've watched football in recent years, take some comfort that the possibly dodgy goal umpiring decisions impacting major games and finals, regardless of the technology used, have been a feature of the game for over 120 years. Grand final day was Saturday the 7th of September, and the venue was the South Melbourne's home ground at the Lakeside Oval. Entrance was still sixpence and a shilling extra for the stand. Members of Collingwood and Essendon just had to show their membership books. The curtain raiser starting at 1pm was a baseball match between Victoria and New South Wales. New South Wales won easily. The umpire again would be Ivo Crapp, who continued to be the most respected umpire in the league. Captain for Essendon was Tom Collins, who played in Essendon's first VFL Premiership in season 1897, and also had represented Victoria in two games against South Australia. Collingwood was led by William Bill Proudfoot. A giant of Collingwood's early VFL history, he weighed 16 stone, about 102 kilograms in today's weight, and was a policeman, which had resulted in a few incidents. In 1896, in the last year that Collingwood were in the VFA, he came to the assistance of an umpire being attacked by spectators and was savagely beaten. The assailant got three months in jail. On another occasion, he picked up an intruder onto the ground by the scruff of his neck and the seat of his pants and tossed him back over the fence. Not a man to be trifled with. Well, after his playing career was over, he won a bravery award in 1918 for stopping a pair of bolting horses in Swanson Street. Essendon were favoured to win by those writing in the various newspapers of the time. The crowd at Albert Park was over 25,000 people, the biggest attendance at a football match in many years. The crush caused the picket fence to break at one point, but spectators simply sat quietly on the outer edge of the turf. As in the case for today's grand finals, many VIPs were in attendance, including consuls from Russia and Italy, and officers from the visiting Italian warship, the Puglia. 
The ball, chosen for the game, was manufactured by Mr Tom Sharon. The fact that he was on Collingwood's committee did not impact the decision by the Essendon players. Essendon won the toss and kicked towards the late goal with the wind somewhat against them. In an incident that could prove telling, Collingwood's captain Bill Proudfoot injured his back early on and, in the absence of any replacement players, he was hampered for the rest of the day. Despite attacking efforts by Essendon, they could not find a way to score. However, after 15 minutes, Kinnear marked and scored the first goal of the game. Essendon's second goal came from Martin. Collingwood then attacked from the bounce, but Hallowood could only manage one point to get Collingwood onto the scoreboard. Clever passing by Essendon, following their trademark system, saw a McKenzie goal for Essendon. At quarter time, Essendon led by three goals straight to Collingwood's solitary one point. The second quarter saw Thurgood kick his first goal after allowing splendidly for the wind. When Collingwood attempted to go forward, Essendon's Gavin was taking strong marks to set Essendon up for attack. Before long, Stuckey handballed to Thurgood, who got his second goal to extend Essendon to a five-goal lead. Then Essendon's captain Collins hurt his leg and had to move down forward to rest, with the versatile Thurgood moving to replace him in the half-back line. At the half-time, Essendon led five goals to, to Collingwood's three behinds. Some of the Essendon players were getting excited, but were reminded by the more experienced hands of the game earlier in the season, where Essendon had a big half-time lead, but Collingwood came back to win by one point. And the third quarter saw Collingwood at their best. Despite their rover Boyack hurting his leg and being carried off the ground, before returning very lame ten minutes later, Collingwood started to hit the scoreboard. Their first goal was from Bryce, and then a splendid run from Morgan gave Bryce a chance to score his and Collingwood's second goal, the roar of the crowd being heard all over South Melbourne. Essendon did not kick a goal, and at three-quarter time, the scores were five goals four to two goals three. Collingwood had a three-goal gap to bridge, but they were in the game. The last quarter saw two tired teams battling each other and the win. Thurgood marked and kicked his third goal and Essendon six to seal the game for the same olds. The Magpies did score one more point, but it was a clear win to Essendon. Their second premiership and their first grand final win after the round robin of 1897. Standout players for Essendon were Thurgood with his three goals and Gavin with his impressive marking and defensive play repelling Collingwood's attack. Albert Thurgood was something of a phenomenon in his career and specifically in season 1901. In the last five games of the season, he kicked 19 of Essendon's 45 goals and earlier in the season when he didn't play, Essendon lost four out of five games. After the game, Collingwood skipper Bill Proudfoot and their president, Mr Beasley, went to the Essendon dressing rooms to congratulate them on their success. Both teams were then invited by the South Melbourne Cricket Club to enjoy themselves at the Skittles Alley. The speeches and the drinks were not over until very, very late. However, back in the suburb of Collingwood, things were much more subdued. As reported in the leader the following week, local barrackers were not even in a position to seek consolation in beer. I usually clear my rent on a Saturday night, complained one publican, but tonight I haven't taken enough to pay the barman. Another complainant was a local butcher. Seems to me the whole suburb has staked its Sunday dinner on the match today, he said gloomily. Hard times indeed, where having lost its game, Collingwood must also forego its meat. 
Tough days indeed when your team loses the grand final. Essendon had the premiership, but there were still many complaints about the final system. Geelong felt most aggrieved by having topped the ladder after the home and away season, but not having the right to challenge. As we have seen with the previous years of the VFL, there will still be further amendment to the final system for the following season. The other concerns raised by journalists reviewing the season were the threats of bookmakers and the creeping professionalism as gate-takings increased. The role of bookkeepers and professionalism was raised at the league delegates' meeting on the 20th of September. Mr McMullen, Geelong's delegate, raised the fact of a bookmaker visiting the Corio Oval and laid £200 on Essendon at odds of 6-4. to four. He also suggested that clubs should ensure bookmakers were not elected to positions in the club or allowed into the dressing rooms. Mr Denham, Essendon's delegate, denied any connection to do with bookmakers, and unless a club could be shown to have something to do with it, the matter should not be mentioned. We'll see how this plays out in the years to come. Join me next time as we explore season 1902, and we'll see what changes are implemented to the final system, and whether Geelong will get a chance to play in a grand final, or will Collingwood redeem themselves after their disappointing premiership loss. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave reviews wherever you get your podcasts from. It will help others to find it. If you have any questions or want to leave feedback, please email me at info at grandfinalhistory.com.au and check out the grandfinalhistory.com.au website or our Facebook page and Twitter accounts. Thanks and I hope you join me next time.